Okay, well, good morning, everyone, and I think it's time to get started. We're a little bit, we're, we're on time, we're good, but it's good to see you all back here this morning. Um, this is week four already, week four, and um, it is, has been a pleasure to get to know those of you that I don't know and to get to know those of you that um, I do know even better, and I just can't wait and look forward to um, spending the rest of this year in Wellspring with you all, learning with you and growing with you, being sanctified with you. Um, because even though I'm up here, I desperately need this. I desperately need to understand and grow in these disciplines and grow in the Lord. Um, I'm an instrument in in our amazing Redeemer's hand. And so um, I just think it's necessary to tell you I'm, I'm right here with you, along with you, learning with you, and growing with you. So um, today's October 5th, right? So hopefully you've all picked out your reading plan, and, and you've started that, um, because the commitment for Wellspring um, is to read through the Bible in a year, or at least to make that your goal, and um, move forward in that. And if you haven't picked one, um, it's okay. You can still get started and keep going. Um, and if you haven't picked one, talk to one of us if you're having a hard time figuring out which one you want to do, and maybe we can we can help you with that. Uh, let's see what other. Um, well, let's just well let's pray and get started. Father, we um, come before you thankful for your mercy on us. Thanking you, Lord, that you saved us when we did not deserve your mercy. We deserve your wrath and in your kindness, you loved us and sent your son and purchased us by um, the work on the cross. And now, Lord, you've given us new hearts with new desires You've given us your spirit. You've given us um, so much. You've given us your church, your body. You've given us one another, Lord. And we ask even now as we um, do review and look more at the heart and our desperate need to bring our hearts before your word to meet with you, God, I pray that you um, would be the one that would impact our hearts that you would help me speak clearly, Lord, that you would help um, us to humble ourselves before your word and grow in your uh, grace, by your grace. Thank you for um, the women who regularly serve you by serving these kids, caring for them, teaching them about you, God, we pray for that ministry taking place right now, that as they sing songs and eat a snack and learn about you, Lord, that their hearts would be impacted. And not even, um, not just the children, but every single one of the women that serve there, Lord, I pray that you would impact their heart as well. What a privilege it is, Lord, to be here. What a privilege to come and learn and open up your word Lord, I pray that we would cherish it and that we would see it rightly. And I pray this in your son's name. Amen. All right, so um, we're going to review the disciplines. Chris told you that every time we get together, we're going to do that. So 
take your notebooks out and turn them over. And we're just, these are very important disciplines. And we do hope that they will just become so familiar to you throughout, throughout the year. We're going to read uh, Wellspring's Purpose, and it is to equip and encourage the women of Grace Bible Church to shepherd their heart toward Jesus Christ with the word of God so that they live out the gospel, thus strengthening the church in its gospel purpose. Wellspring is about teaching the women of Grace Bible Church, that's us, to unite themselves around these biblical disciplines. So that there's this common understanding among us um, when we talk about what it means to be a woman of God and when we talk about what it means to care for one another, when we talk about what it means to be involved in ministry here at Grace Bible Church, um, so that that our church can be effective with the gospel. And that's what we want. And the elders, they want us to be built up and they want us to be equipped and be used by God. Um, so that the gospel goes deeper into our lives and so that it goes deeper into our households and it goes deeper into the church and if the gospel is going to go far beyond our church it's going to take us it's going to take us women shepherding our hearts with the word of God and that takes us to discipline one she prayerfully shepherds her heart toward God through the word of God and in particular the gospel So like I said, if the gospel is going to go far beyond our church, it's going to take us being godly women who know. We know, we know, we know, we know. We need to bring our heart to the word of God because what our heart needs more than anything else, more than anything else is to meet with him, to meet with the God of the word. He reveals himself to us there. And that's what discipline one is about. Everything flows from Discipline One, and we're going to talk about it every time we meet. And um, even when we start teaching Discipline Two, well, we're going to keep going back to Discipline One because it all starts with shepherding our hearts. Our hearts need to be in a deep relationship with the God of the Word. You're going to hear that over and over again. And really, this is what makes the difference between someone who shows up on Sunday and the one who's going to be used by God in the lives of others. And that's what we want, right? We want to be used by God. So the godly woman understands. She understands the condition of her heart, and she's seeking to understand it rightly and biblically, and she loves God, and she wants um, her heart to come close to God, to meet with him, to meet with the God of the word. And as we do that, we will have something to say to the sheep whom Christ purchased and redeemed with his own blood. We'll have something to say. That's the woman God wants to speak to his sheep and to care for them and to come alongside of them and to lift them up. That's the woman who's going to make an impact because her words and her life, both, they're going to overflow with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what we want. So next is discipline to the home or household relationships. She ministers to those in her household with her heart for God and the gospel. So as a woman who's shepherding her heart with the word of God and the gospel, she's seeking him, she's dependent on him. When you step into her home, whatever season of life she's in, 
there's going to be an aroma of Christ there. It's a place where people are loved and they're encouraged with the truth from God's word. They're encouraged and they're spurred on with with what Christ has done for them on the cross. There should be evidence in that household that a woman of God who's been um, lives there and who has been impacted by the gospel and at least to the degree, degree that she can have an impact. And you know, we do have an impact, right? We have an impact. The question is, what kind of an impact are we making? You can ask the people that you that live with her. Um, you know, the people that are around her, rubbing up next to her most. What is she like? What kind of impact is she making in her home? What if someone was to ask your husband or your kids or your roommate or your parents? What would they say? Would they say the gospel is so much a part of your life that it comes out in your attitude? I'm not talking about perfection. But it comes out in how you interact. comes out in your relationship with her, with you, as you display the gospel. So we need to understand the impact that we make um, and place a priority in shepherding our hearts to make it a priority to bring the gospel into our homes. And we call this and these disciplines. They're disciplines. And we are to grow in them. Okay, so what if you live alone? What if you live alone? Or maybe you have family you don't live with, but that you're caring for them. Well, consider how you can make your home, discipline two, where you practice, discipline three, which is your ministry. Okay, maybe you're single. Maybe you live alone. How about inviting people into your home? Use your home, showing others the impact that the gospel has had on your heart and the impact the gospel has had in your life as you love others. And so discipline three involves those she ministers to outside of her home. Discipline three is with a heart for God and the gospel and fulfilling her ministry within her household, she steps into the church to shepherd others toward God and the gospel. This woman, she's now equipped to effectively step into people's lives with the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever she goes, with believers and non-believers. Now, um, there's an important order to this. Okay, Too often we as women, we're very eager to get involved in church, um, and we have a genuine zeal to be used, and that's really good. But we can be tempted to play leapfrog over two crucial things. One is our own hearts. And the other is the people in our home. So we have to watch that. Because when that happens, um, we may have women very busy caring for people outside of their homes. But their homes, they may be in chaos. Their marriage may be struggling. They don't have time to shepherd their children. So this is a place where we need to continually be evaluating our hearts. And this may be involved this may involve evaluating your calendar. You know, it's very revealing where we see our priorities, right? Um, it may take help from others. 
you know, and evaluating. So um, ask for help. A good question to ask someone you live with is, do you feel that I'm too busy with ministry um, outside of the home? That when I'm home, I'm really not here. You know, I'm distracted. It's very convicting for me. And I'm doing some evaluating myself in this area. Um, I'm an empty nester. And so I can easily take advantage of this season and just leapfrog right over my role as a wife. Um, My husband, he is very, very gracious. um, But I need to make sure that I'm understanding my identity as a slave, right, in Christ. That's why I am first and then understand my, um, uh, and that's discipline one, as I shepherd my heart in that. And then I understand my role as a wife, discipline two and uh, not leapfrog into ministry, discipline three. And ministry is good. Ministry is good. And sometimes it does take sacrifice on everyone's part, um, and that can be okay. But the question is, are we leapfrogging? Are we leapfrogging over? So that's why we need to start with discipline one and acknowledge that I need to be a woman who shepherds my heart. I have a new heart. I have a new heart, and I want to feed it. I want to feed my new heart. I want to keep my new heart connected. Full contact with the Word of God. And when we do that, we're going to make an impact with the people that we live with and the people in our church and the people outside of church. So there are your disciplines before you um, that we have in Wellspring, and hopefully you'll get to a point over the course of the year where you'll understand and you'll practice these in such a way you'll be able to explain them. And when you have an opportunity to talk to someone, else, maybe um, your children, maybe your friends, your mentee, whomever God brings into, into your life, you can always start right there with these three disciplines. Okay, It will help you in your conversations to bring them to their heart because so many times, so many times we're just not paying attention to our hearts. And then our hearts, you know, they're prone to wander. And our priorities get upside down. And the very thing we need to come back to is bringing our heart to God's word, shepherding it with our, uh, shepherding our hearts with God's word to me with the God of the word. So say you're meeting with a woman and she's playing leapfrog over her relationships in her home. Well, you can gently and lovingly help her to see that she needs to, to work on that. And when you address this, if she's teachable and if she's humble, she'll respond. And this is how we care for one another in the body. And we need to remember this is journey. It's journey. We're all in different places. So you need to remember this is a journey for yourself and for others. Sometimes um, maybe there's not immediate change. But if there's a willingness to grow, then growth will take place. And the idea is at some point we will all become so familiar with this it'll just be the norm for us to talk about this with one another and we'll be humble and open and transparent about it. So, with that in mind, <clears throat> take out your um, assignment that you got today and on the back of it is a quote. Last year we handed these out separately. This year um, we may include them in your notes somewhere but I want to I take the time to read it. I think it's a really good quote. It's by Paul David Tripp um, out of the book Instruments in the Redeemer's Hand and it's just really helpful in um, helping us to understand and make it clear what the Bible is and what it isn't. Okay? It starts, this is how scripture differs from an encyclopedia. 
When I use an encyclopedia, I do not need to read other articles to understand the one I'm reading at the moment. How many of you guys don't use an encyclopedia? I don't. I don't. He may need to change this article, and it may need to read like when we use Wikipedia or Google or whatever. We just don't use encyclopedias like we used to. But one article has no connection to another. There are no overarching themes. In the Bible, however, every passage is dependent on the whole. And the whole Bible is held together by interdependent themes that run through every passage, like rebar, the steel rods that reinforce concrete. These themes give me a sense of identity, purpose, and direction that will fundamentally alter the way I think, desire, speak, and act. The sad fact is that many of us are simply not biblical in the way we use the Bible. Being biblical does not mean merely quoting words from within its pages. Being truly biblical means that my counsel reflects what the entire Bible is about. The Bible's a narrative, a story of redemption, and its chief character is Jesus Christ. He's the main theme of the narrative, and he's revealed in every passage of the book. Lasting change begins when our identity, purpose, and sense of direction are defined by God's story. I think that's so good to remember. Okay, so take out um, your, the uh, um, outline, Discipline 1. Um, you got it today, but it says Part 2 on it. And um, we're going to review what we've been learning about the heart this week. Um, and also we're going to look at the description of the heart at the beginning of Bible Storyline. And the next week we're going to change gears completely and we're going to talk about pride. Um, the danger pride exposes our heart to. And I didn't even want to tell you that, but I needed to, because <laughs> I want you to come back. Um, <laughs> but it's on the same outline, so I don't want you to be confused. But first, um, I'm going to start with an illustration. And Scott uses this illustration every year and in build when he teaches the guys. And so if you were here last year, you've heard it. But it's such a helpful illustration as we continue to try to understand God's word rightly, what it is and what it isn't. So imagine that it is really, really hot outside. Okay, it's like 100 and, you know, the hottest day of summer here, 18, 20 or whatever. And you're in the desert and you're hiking. And I have to imagine this because there's absolutely no way I'd be doing that. But you're hiking and um, you ran out of water. You've become delirious, and you've gone off the trail. You're lost. Now, it's not hard for me to imagine that, because I get lost driving here. <laughs> I did last week, actually. And, um, but you're lost. You're hot. You are, you're, you're scared, and you're off the trail, and you don't know whether to um, go to the left, and that's going to take you closer to the trail, or you don't know whether to go to the right, if that's going to take you closer to the trail. You're confused, and you're scared, and you don't know what to do. So let me ask you a question. How important, how important at that point is it to be rescued? It'd be your one focus. It'd be your one goal, being rescued. Actually, it would be a matter of life and death. Okay, now let me inject something that seems kind of silly. But suppose the whole time you're in that condition, you're lost, and you've got a satellite phone. 
You've got a satellite phone. You're in that condition. You have no water. You really need help. You're going to die. But you've got a satellite phone. So then at that point, how important would this phone be? It would be huge, right? It would be everything. Because it's the one means to the one end that is going to put you into contact with your rescuer. You must have it. It's that phone that's going to put you into contact with your rescuer. So what are you going to do? You're going to protect it at all costs. You're, you're going to value it. You're not going to lose sight of it. You're not going to put it down. You're not going to forget it. Actually, what I would think you would do, what I would do is cherish it. I would cherish it because it's the one means to the one end that's going to put me into contact with my rescuer. Remember, it's a matter of life and death. But sometimes, when something is really, really important, we forget that it's not the goal itself. Here's what I mean. Imagine, okay, same scenario, you're in that situation, and imagine picking up that satellite phone. You're still very desperate, but instead of contacting your rescuer, you start playing games on it. You just start playing games on the satellite phone. I don't know if satellite phones have games. But this is Scott's illustration, and he said that it does. So we're going with it. But pretend. I mean, just imagine. You're playing a game on it, or you're listening to music. How ridiculous would that be? How ridiculous would that be to play a, phone, to play a game with your phone when you need to be rescued? But never talk your rescuer. Be foolish. But ladies, that's what we do. If we interact with the word in such a way that we don't interact with the God of the word, not call our rescuer, it's not okay. It's not okay to come to the word of God just to get answers and to know more and to check a box, but not meet with him. Do you see the difference? We have to shepherd our hearts out of that kind of thinking about the Word. The Word is precious. It is so precious, and we cherish it. But it's not our ultimate goal. God is our ultimate goal. So discipline one is about our heart getting near its rescuer, its deliverer, its savior, coming to the Word of God to meet with the God of Word and cherishing our time with our precious Savior. That must be our one goal, is to know God. And so, um, the word, um, it would be like the satellite phone. I, mean, I just lost my place. Okay, like the satellite phone, we must not neglect God's Word. Okay? So, let's be the kind of women, when we interact with the Word, we would always be concerned to meet with God, to see the word of God as a means through whom we would know him and, that, and we would love him. And, you know, the difference in these two approaches is huge. It's huge, and we must choose the better way. You must choose the better way for your own heart's sake. I must choose the better way for my heart's sake. For our home's sake, for this church's sake, and for the gospel's sake. We really need to be passionate about this. 
you and I, we need to be passionate about God and about the Word of God because He gave it to us that we might know Him and that we might love Him. And at Grace Bible Church, we could want to be known as women who are all about the Word. The Word, the Word. And that's good. That's really good. Okay, but if we leave it there, we've fallen short. We want to be more concerned about being women who know the God of the Word. So important to keep the right perspective. Okay, with that in mind, let's just let's move on. Um, in your notebook, you have um, a page it's after the first tab, the heart, and it says um, D1, the heart, the 856 occurrences of the heart in the New American Standard, and it lists some books of the Bible. Um, would you just you can just take a look at that or pull it out or whatever? And I want to do another illustration, but first I um, don't look at it anymore. Don't read it, <laughs> but pull it out. Um, and those of you <clears throat> who were not here last year at Wellspring, I want you to be the ones that participate in this. But <clears throat> just as I am direct- directionally challenged and get la- lost a lot, I um, and math is very challenging for me too. So I need someone to volunteer. And Dana, you did such an awesome job last year, adding for adding for me. Remember that. Um, just five single digit and maybe double digit numbers. Who's good at math? You don't remember? <laughs> you did. You want to do it for me? Okay. Oh, okay. Well, Ingrid's going to do it. So, so when I, you know, when we look at the numbers, please just add up those five digit, and then I'll ask you um, after you've summed them up. But okay. So those of you who were not at Wellspring last year, tell me. Um, just call out one at a time. What is your most favorite book of the Bible to read? Throw it out there. Okay, hold on. One at a time. Who is First John. Okay, so First John. Let's look at, and will you add the number four, please? In your head, yeah. Like we're going to add off five. Four. And any, who else? Job. Okay, so Job. Um, Job, we're going to add 20. First Peter, we're going to add 3. And Psalms, we're going to add 126. Proverbs, we're going to add 69. Roman, is that 5? Or is that 4? Numbers. You didn't tell me to count that. Oh, that was 5? I'm counting the numbers. Mm -hmm, But how many numbers do you have? Okay, so there's five. Okay, so just as for illustration's sake. But um, it's not uncommon uh, that um, we do have mostly New Testament uh, books of the Bible that is our most favorite. Um, But uh, maybe not all of them, and and you proved that by uh, adding in Psalms and Proverbs. But most of the time, not all the time, we spent reading. We spend our time reading those five favorite books of the Bible, our go-to's, over and over and over again. So let's say you read those five books over the course of a year. Okay, you've exposed your heart to roughly 222, 222 occurrences of what God says about the heart. Well, okay, now look down at your sheet. Look at Exodus. Look at the book of Exodus. 
33 times God has something to say about the heart in one book. Or look at um, look at Deuteronomy 45 times. Or look at 1 Kings 30 times. 2 Chronicles 31 times. Now Proverbs is 69 times. Uh, Psalms is uh, 126 times. And why is that? Do you know? What's the setting of worship? It's a setting of worship, of devotion to God. And David, um, he's one of the primary authors, and he, he can't help but talk about the heart. So this is not an exhortation to read um, any of your five favorite books any less. No. This is an exhortation to read through all of the Bible, all of the Old Testament. Because if you don't read the Old Testament, do you see what you're missing? See what you're missing? So don't hinder yourself from being exposed to all of what God has to say about the heart. The human heart hasn't changed since Genesis 3. So let's review from the last couple of weeks. Um, And now we are on page 1 of your outline, if you pull that out. So we're just going to do some review, and it's okay to... Um, look back at your notes. But if someone asked you, what, what is the heart? How could we summarize with the heart? If someone comes to you and says, okay, here, let's talk about the heart, but what is it? Is it, are you talking about your emotions? You know, or what are you talking about? What, what would you say? No, just throw out one-liners to me. It says audience participation. What is the heart? Who you are inside all of you. Yes. The totality of you. Who you are. Anyone else? Your motives. Your motives, right? Your motives, your thoughts, your will. Anyone else? It's the most important component of you. It's the center of your personality, center of your um, thoughts and will. It's the place in which God reveals himself to us. Conversion takes place in the heart. Renewal takes place in the heart. That which God addresses, it's a place which, what's our wellspring verse? Mm -hmm. Above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Proverbs 4.23, it's the place for which everything flows. 1 Peter 3.4 talks about the inner person of the heart. So when we say heart, we're talking about you. We're talking about not just a part of you, right? But but you at the core, you in totality. So therefore, it is the focal point of God's evaluation of us. And when we stand before him, he's not going to neglect our hearts. So what is the condition? What is the condition of our heart? If we're going to share with someone what the problem is, question two, what would you say based on what we've looked at? Throw it out there. What's the condition of, of our hearts? Desperately sick. Deceitful. Deceitful. Failed us. Failed us. Fails us. Mm-hmm. Beyond my own ability to cleanse. It's the inward source of my dis- defilement, and it foolishly invites greater spiritual darkness. Turn with me to Genesis 6. We're going to... We're going to... Um, See what the condition of the heart was back 
before the flood. And the references on the back of your outline. We're kind of skipping around on your outline. So turn your out, you can turn your outline over. But it fits in really well, well here when we talk about the condition of the heart. Turn to Genesis 6, starting in verse 5, and I'll, and I'll read his word. And then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. The Lord said, I will blot out man who I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals, to creeping things, and to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So in verse 7, God's saying, I'm going to blot out man. The flood is coming. And the reason that he's going to blot out man is because of what he says in verse 5 and 6. Do you see that, how wicked the heart of man is in verse 5? God's saying every intent of the thoughts of his heart, any intention, any planned purpose of his heart, there is nothing that doesn't have wickedness all over it. Do you see that? Do you see it in his word? Every, only, continually. Do you see the emphasis there? There's no part of the heart that's outside of this. Man's great wickedness is primarily a heart problem. So so in chapter 6 and 7, the flood comes. Maybe you even read that this week in your Bible reading plan if you started just now. Um, it should be around there. But it's incredible. Put yourself there when you read. I mean, imagine 370-some days being on an ark with a bunch of animals. That's a long time. And the flood, it subsides, subsides in chapter 8, and they finally come out. Starting in chapter 8, verse 20, we read, Then Noah, he built an altar to the Lord. He worshipped And he took every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offering on the altar. And the Lord smelled the soothing aroma. And the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man. For the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth. And I'll never again destroy every living thing as I have done. So during that moment of worship, Noah is worshiping God. And God is stating what is still true of the human race. A repeat of what he said back in Genesis 6. There's only eight people left on the face of the earth now. Only eight. And he's saying, you know what, as you come off the boat and as you worship me, there's still a problem. What is it? Man's heart. Man's heart's still evil. So, did the judgment of the flood fix the heart problem? No, it didn't fix the heart problem. That's the point. When we see the wickedness of heart and we see God's destruction of the whole of the whole world and yet the sin problem is still in the heart, well, we're left hoping. We're left hoping for a better deliverance, a rescuer. Now, there's a lot of talk among us in the world today and when we may even hear it in the churches, just follow your Follow your heart. Well, knowing what we know now, is that wise? No. Now we understand why Proverbs uh, 28:26 says, "He who trusts in his own heart is a fool, but he who walks wisely will be delivered." Well, question number three: Is the heart aware of this? 
Is the heart aware of this? Is the heart aware of how devastated its condition is? Well, it's not. No, it's easily deceived. Even when it's surrounded by blessing, it's easily deceived. It forgets God. So even when it's at its best, it's full of deception. There is nothing more deceitful. It can be deceived by others, and we can deceive our own hearts. So, I have a heart that fails me. It's beyond my own cleansing. It's the source of my defilement. It foolishly invites um, spiritual darkness. It's easily deceived. It's the best deceiver, and yet, question four, what is the highest calling of the heart? What's the highest calling of the heart? Yeah, to love God. Is it to love God with part of my heart? No, it's to love God with all of it. So wait a minute. You've got this massive gulf, um, eternal gulf, between what my heart really is and what it's called to do, to love God. So does God see this? Does God see this predicament? That's question number five. Does he see it? Well, the answer is yes. Actually, he's the only one who sees it accurately. Not only does he see it and search the heart, but he says he'll repay. So question number six. So what's the greatest need? What's the greatest need of the human heart? And we looked at this from two perspectives. The first is that our heart needs to be cleansed, to be changed, to be made new, and that we are responsible to do it. There's exhortations all throughout the Old Testament for Israel. It says you need to change your heart. You need to do something about your inner you, your heart. Circumcise it, wash it, tear it, not your garment. Purify it. And we even saw it in the New Testament. Purify your heart, but we can't. We can't. How can we do that with a heart that is in this condition? He says we're responsible. So at the same time, then the other perspective of this question is that God says, I'll do it. He says, I'll do it. Now we must admit our own inability and plead with God, "Um, I can't do it. Will you? I can't do it. Will you? And we can trust God's promises. He will do for us what we could never do for ourselves good news simultaneously to that command he says he is the one that will do it he promises to do for man what man can't do for his own heart I mean, the old covenant it highlighted a need but it never provided the means to get it so God says yes I'll do it I'll cleanse it and I'll give you a new one he says I'll do for sinners what they can't do for themselves So we see the wickedness of heart and God's destruction of the whole world and yet the sin problem is still in the heart. We're left hoping for a better deliverance. Do you see why the Son of God came to suffer? To bear away our wicked hearts in his body on the cross and to give us a new heart. I do pray that this becomes more and more of a treasure and that I understand this more and more of the hope that we have in our rescuer. 
now. That heart is in a mixed condition. We're going to learn more about this in a couple of weeks. So if this is confusing, please just hang in there. We need to know our hearts in their mixed condition, the new heart, it can still deceive us. It's in this mixed condition now. So question number seven, what has God provided for our hearts? What has he provided? Well, those who are in Christ Jesus have a new heart, and we need to starve out our flesh that just loves itself, and we need to feed our new heart. And what does he give us to feed our new heart? Well, let's go to Deuteronomy 17. Deuteronomy 17, starting in verse 14. And this is Moses giving instructions regarding a king that they'll have someday. Starting in verse 14, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read. When you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you and you possess it. I was so afraid this was going to happen. Guess what just happened, Chris? <laughs> I lost it. It went away. Oh, there it is. Well, sort of. <laughs> this is the problem with having... <laughs> But I have it. I have a backup. So, we'll just keep going. Somebody read Deuteronomy 14. Ingrid will use, so we'll pick it up. Pardon? You want me to read? Mm-hmm. When you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, and you possess it and live in it, and you say, I will set a king over me like all the nations who are around me, you shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses one from among your countrymen you shall set as king over yourselves. You may not put a foreigner over yourselves who is not your countrymen. You want me to keep mm-hmm. Moreover, he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor shall he cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never again return that way. Neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Nor shall he greatly increase silver and gold for himself. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you. Now, watch this. He says, Now it shall come about when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, and he shall write for himself. Who's going to write it? The king will. He is. Starting in, in verse 18. A copy of this law and a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. It shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by carefully observing all the words of this law and these statutes, so that his heart may not be lifted up above his countrymen, and that he may not turn aside from the commandments to the right or to the left, so that he and his son may continue and his sons may continue long in his kingdom in the midst of Israel. He's to write a copy of the law himself, this king is, and it's to, um, it's to be in his presence, and he's to read it all the days of his life. Why? So that he'll learn to fear the Lord through obedience. The word, the word will prevent him from lifting up his heart high above others in arrogance and in pride from thinking, you know what, I'm better than the rest of you. He needs the word close to his heart so that he's not exempt. He's not exempting himself from the standard that everyone else has to live by. He has to live by the very same standard. It's the king of Israel and he was be, to be on the same level ground as everyone else. 
And what is going to do the leveling? What will do the leveling? God's law. God's word. God's revelation of himself. The great leveler for all of us is the word of God. The word is what will prevent him from lifting up his heart high above others. We all have a tendency, I do, anyway, to exempt ourselves from some standard that's placed on us. Like there's some sort of ex, um, some kind of expect, accept, exception for us. But what we need is to continually be exposed to the word, the heart level, to prevent us from lift, lifting up our hearts above others, from being prideful. He shows us over and over again how desperately our hearts need to be in his word. He's given us his word, the word of God. Psalm 119, 11 says, Your word I have, I have treasured in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against you. God's design is that there would be full contact, remember, with our heart and his word. Turn with me quickly to Hebrews 4.12, and I'm going to go kind of fast because we're a little bit behind. Hebrews 4.12, we're familiar with it. He says, The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of what? Soul and spirit, the inner man. What do you need the most to help you with seeing your heart? You can't see it yourself as it truly is. But the one who has a changed heart has been given a new identity, a new heart. He's given you his word. And you know what it can do? It can do for us what we, what it can't, what we can't do for ourselves. It can search us and judge us. And it can let us know who, what our inner man truly is. So if we skip over discipline one and we don't shepherd our hearts with the word of God, Honestly, what do we really have to say to anyone? I won't be helpful. I may even be harmful if I'm not. When I don't do this, I'm not helpful to anyone. So we do need to be women who do this. Not to check off boxes. Not to impress anyone. We need to know God. And we need to come to his word saying, if I don't see you, if I don't get you and love you with this word. Basically, I, I think I'm just going to wither up and die. I need you. Because knowing what we know about our hearts, really what should our attitude towards God work, toward God's word be? That I want it. It should be that I want it more than anything. It's not, it's not the attitude that I have to have it. But it's the attitude I have to. I have to have it. I have to be in the Word to meet with Him in His Word. Not because it's the end, but because it's the means to the end. Jesus, the Gospel. And when you open His Word, pray. Pray. We gave you an example of a prayer that Scott shared with us last year. He was so gracious to do that. And you can make this your prayer, or you can come up with your own. But I encourage you, you know, to, to read this. And, and it's, just, um, it's just the approach of how Wellspring Disciplines might shape your prayerful approach to God through his word. I'm going to read it. Okay. Heavenly Father, 
I intend this time in your word to be an expression of worship of you, desire for you, love for you, and need of you, dependence on you. Any of this and all of this is only possible through your son, Jesus Christ, who is my Savior. I approach you through him, my substitute and high priest. I have your your word open up before me because you've revealed yourself there more clearly than any other place, and I long to know you better. I desire to see you in all your glory in the pages before me. I simply and humbly draw near to you to study you. Nearness to you through these pages of scripture is my good. I also have your word open before me because I need to learn more of the nature of my sin and fallenness before you so that I might better understand what danger I truly was in and what danger still lurk within me in my mixed condition, right? So that I might see the sin that provoked your righteous wrath toward your son and your grace that moved you to act as savior toward me and him. Your word is open before me that I might undergird my life again today with your saving heart and motive in the gospel of your son who overcame the penalty of my sin and the power of my sin to enslave me. I need the foundation of your gospel under me clearly so that I can see just how you have equipped me through it to fight against my sin and to fight for obedience to you through Jesus Christ. I am here to rehearse your bedrock promises in the gospel to my soul. I have your word open before me also to study what righteousness and holiness of life looks like for one who has been made into a new creature in Christ. By your grace and power, as I see holiness of life placed in front of me in the pages of scripture, I long to better align my life and behavior with what pleases you. I desire my heart and mind to be full of you because of what these pages reveal to me about you. I long for you to spill out of me into my home, discipline too, and wherever you lead me today. All who come into contact with me today must interact with a woman whose heart has been drawn near to you. Discipline three. Their best hope for salvation or for growth is the, in the gospel will come from one who has searched for you in your word and gazed upon your son in the gospel. So, as you think about the satellite phone illustration, how are you using this word? Are you using it to call your rescuer? Or are you just playing around with it? We must choose the better way. Remember, it's for our heart's sake and it's for your home's sake and it's for this church's sake and it's for the gospel's sake. He gave us his word that we might know him and that we might love him. Let's pray. Father, that we would grow in a deeper relationship with you through your word, being um, women who shepherd our hearts and our home and, and ministry um, because we love you and because of what you have done is in our hearts as we meet with you. We pray that we would be those kinds of women. And as we 
um, have discussion time now. God, I pray that you um, would help us be open and honest and transparent and that you would be made much of as we leave here today. God, I pray these women would leave encouraged and that they would leave spurred on to um, pursue you more. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.